0: So uh, Galatians, we're going to talk about Galatians. I read from this passage today, and I, I want to read to you a little a statement about Galatians, which is actually in your notes. It's from uh, it's from the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Okay, it's not it's a heavyweight, and it says there that Galatians is one of Paul's great letters. In it, he forcefully proclaims the doctrine of justification—that is, right standing with God by faith alone. Martin Luther, the reformer, he said Galatians was his epistle. So married, so wedded was Luther to Galatians, both in interest and in temperament. Now listen to this statement. It says that together they shaped the course of the Reformation and subsequently all of history since 1517. Now, the Reformation, for those of you who don't know, the Reformation is where there was one church, Catholic church, you know, and now there were people who were protesting. They became known as Protestants, Protestants. And they were saying, we've got to go back to the Bible. We've got to, we've got to reform the church. Things have to change. And Martin Luther was the man who is best known as the one who led the way. And all the non-Catholic churches in the world today are a result of that movement. And that movement, this Bible dictionary is telling us that that movement has its roots in Galatians. And so it's telling us that Galatians is a pretty important book in the Bible. You should read Galatians.
1: Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the Senior Pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Hardy, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, Visit us online at VLCCAZ.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Tim wife, Pastor Philemon, and his wife, and the rest of the team here, and their openness to me, the kind things that Pastor Tim said about me as he introduced me, and I, I pray, God, that you will continue to show your favor in this place, because it's not about us, it's about all the people that you want to reach through us. Lord, this place, this church exists for all the people who are not yet members we exist for others. As you came for others, for us, Lord, we want to be here for you. And as I share your word, I pray for open hearts and open minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. That means you're going to agree with everything I say. Amen. That's right. That's right. Okay. Uh, I want to begin by um, reading a text of Scripture that I'm going to be sharing If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Galatians, chapter 3. And uh, this is my theme. Who's your daddy? That's a good question to ask Catholics. Who's your daddy? All right, so. So anyway, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it begins... With this statement, it's a section here called Sons of God in Galatians, in my NIV. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is this, that As long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit of who calls out, say it with me, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. I want to begin by asking you a, a deep, a personal deep, and uh, I'll ask the church, it's going to get me into trouble right up front. Okay. How many of you believe that uh, if you're a born-again Christian and you, and you smoke, you're still going to go to heaven. How many of you believe that? Those are the smokers. Okay. <laughs> the hands came down lightning fast. Uh, how about uh, uh, if you, uh, you know, you're born again Christian and, you know, and, and you, well, you play poker. You still going to go to heaven? Bingo. So, Jewel says bingo is acceptable, but not poker. How many of you? I'm going to put everybody on the spot here, Tim, you know, because then you can know who, who really needs to, you know, needs ministry. All right. All right. How, how many of you, how many of you actually play poker once in a while? Play poker. Look at this. Look at this. Okay. When I went to college, I went to a fine Christian college with my wife, Biola University. We had to sign a statement that we would be righteous people and righteousness was not doing five things. Smoking, drinking, dancing, going to movies, and playing cards—you could play rook, but you couldn't. <laughs> you come from one of those institutions, right? And so my roommate—he almost—he almost flunked out of—he almost flunked, failed, almost flunked out of school because he was up at the student, in the student union building playing rook until two, two and three o'clock in the morning, and uh, that was okay. You know, you could flunk out playing rook, but you couldn't. What's going on here? Okay. Praise the Lord. I hear I hear God saying to me, let it go. Let it go. You know, I'm I'm fine. I'm totally fine. So um I want to tell you something. For those of you who don't know anything about poker, and for those of you who do, I want to just kind of tell you something that how how the how poker helps us understand the Bible. Uh in poker. You know pretty much you can win with any with any hand that's what a poker face is all about. I mean you can have nothing in your hand or you you know you could win with two nines because everybody else has sixes fives threes and and twos. You can win with any hand, but there's one hand there's one hand if you have that hand you're going to win it it trumps every other hand in poker, and what's that called? a royal flush see these people look how well they <laughs> Yeah. Some of them know the rules of poker better than they know the word of God. Okay? So <laughs> So a royal flush, a royal flush is ace, king, queen, jack. I I've never played poker. Uh but uh someone explained this to me. Um anyway, ace, king, queen, jack, uh 10. Thank you very much. And uh and all the same all the same suit. Okay? Now there there's a flush, but then there's a royal flush, you know. So Takes every hand. It's better than four aces. Better than four aces and a king. It's a royal flush. Okay. How in the world can this help us understand the Bible? Because, on the one hand, every verse in the Bible is God's word. Okay. You you can't just say, well, you know, this one doesn't really. It doesn't really matter. Every word in the Bible is God's word. But there are some places in the Bible that are like. More important than other places in the Bible. Okay? This is why we're Christians. Did you know that? Because we believe that this little section here, about 20% of all the pages in the Bible, you know, this little section right here helps us understand this fat section here. Okay, this is the Jewish Bible, this is the Hebrew Bible. The oh, we call it the Old Testament. That's an offense to Jewish people. It's the Jewish, it's the Hebrew Bible. But we say this is the New Testament, and we put We put the glasses of the New Testament on and we read the Old Testament through the New Testament. So we let all of this sort of trump everything else. Now, do we still study the Old Testament? Yes. Are there still important things there? Yes. But there are are all of the things in the Old Testament, we understand them through the New Testament. I'm giving you a basic lesson in what in seminary we call hermeneutics, all right? How to interpret the Scripture. We don't just take the Bible and take it, take it all and throw it into a blender, uh, and a theological, doctrinal blender, and we just sort of come out with this, this mush, you know, this green drink of belief, all right? We have, to, we have to be wise as we understand Scripture. Now, in the New Testament, you know, Jesus taught us a lot of things, uh, but then he said to his apostles, his, his disciples, that the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you into all truth, and there are things in the New Testament that we use to understand other things in the New Testament. In fact, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, I'm here to tell you, you would not understand that without the writings of the Apostle Paul. you, You think you understand it because it's been part of our teaching in the church, but you would not really understand that without the writings of the Apostle Paul. And when it comes to salvation and how we get saved and what what you have to do and what you don't have to do to be saved or to stay saved, okay? If you want to understand salvation, the doctrine of salvation, which is the core doctrine in the Bible, you have to start with Romans. Because it's the only place in all of the Bible that actually explains the doctrine of salvation systematically, And if you want to understand salvation when people aren't really sure what it it involves, you know, well, do you have to believe in Jesus? But yeah, but you also have to, you also have to, you know, Jesus, well, but, you know, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you've all heard that from somebody before. Yeah, I call it Jesus plus something. Okay, so if, if you want to, if you're confused about that, read the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians is about Christians trying to work out their salvation and some people were saying, well, yeah, you, you know, you have to believe in Jesus, but if you're a Gentile, a man, you also have to be circumcised. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus. That's a starting point. You can't go to heaven without Jesus. But you also have to be circumcised. And I've, I've you know, this is a little footnote I've often thought to myself, how did they know? Dudes. How did they know? Did they have like a screening tent, you know, outside? How did they know? So anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say for one Sunday. Um, So, yes, should should I finish the message, Tim? Okay, okay, I should go forward, okay. So, uh, and I, I heard Tim Keller say, he's a great Christian author, that this whole idea of circumcision, it's a metaphor. In the book of Acts in chapter 15, uh, there, were, there were people who were believers, there were brothers who were members of the Pharisee, the, parties, the party of the Pharisees, it says that in Acts chapter 15, who were saying, yes, that new believers, the Gentile Christians have to be circumcised and obey all the laws of Moses. And that's where in the New Testament, Acts chapter 15, the early church comes to the conclusion, they, they, this is a statement that we're saved by grace alone. And not by anything that we do. But I heard Tim Keller say that there's something about Jesus plus something, you know, when we say, well, you've got to believe in Jesus, but that can be really cruel. Legalism is cruel. I mean, so you tell your friend, you know, your friend becomes a Christian, you, you know, your dude friend, and then he, say, you say, he says, well, what else What else do I have to do? And he says, Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to be circumcised, you know. And he says, I think I'm going to be a Buddhist. You know, it and it's a metaphor of how painful, how painful it can be, legalism, and what we expect of people. How painful that can be. So, uh, the Bible is sort of like poker, where we have to use the New Testament—that's the royal flush of the Bible—to understand the Old Testament, and then we have to use places like Romans and Galatians the royal flush passages about salvation to help us understand the rest of the New Testament. Um, and when I talk about God's grace and by God's grace alone that we're saved and we're you know, not only saved by grace but kept by grace, people will always say, well, they'll, they'll, well, but what about this verse of Scripture? Well, you know, there's a lot of verses of Scripture that are hard to understand. But I always want to say, well, what about Romans? I'm going to use Romans to understand this Scripture. I'm not going to use this Scripture to to neutralize the power of what Paul is writing about salvation in Romans. Okay. So uh, Galatians, we're going to talk about Galatians. I read from this passage today, and I, I want to read to you a little a statement about Galatians, which is actually in your notes. It's from, uh, it's from the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Okay, it's, not, it's a heavyweight, And it says there that Galatians is one of Paul's great letters in it he forcefully proclaims the doctrine of justification, that is right standing with God by faith alone. Martin Luther, the reformer, he said Galatians was his epistle. So married, so wedded was Luther to Galatians, both in interest and in temperament. Now listen to this statement. It says that together they shaped the course of the Reformation and subsequently all of history since 1517. Now the Reformation, for those of you who don't know, the Reformation is where there was one church, Catholic church, you know, and now there were people who were protesting. They became known as Protestants, Protestants. And they were saying, we've got to go back to the Bible. We've got to, we've got to reform the church. Things have to change. And Martin Luther was the man who is best known as the one who led the way. And all the non-Catholic churches in the world today are a result of that movement. And that movement, this Bible dictionary is telling us that that movement has its roots in Galatians. And so it's telling us that Galatians is a pretty important book in the Bible. You should read Galatians. You should read every book in the Bible. Have you read the book of Habakkuk? Or Philemon? You know, when you get to heaven, Habakkuk is going to ask you, did you read my book? And some of you are going to say, oh, I didn't even know you had a book. Not good, okay? Okay, so um, so Galatians. Uh, Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Is it Jesus plus something? Is it Jesus plus circumcision? Or is it Jesus plus nothing? And what, what does that mean? Okay, our text today is a royal flush, okay? In Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says this, this is the royal flush. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through, through what? Faith. From beginning to end, not through faith, plus you gotta do stuff. Because you are, you're dependent on God from beginning to end in him. We live, we move, we have our being, and we are totally dependent on him for salvation, not just to get us started, but to keep us in there until the end. Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. Okay, so so I have some basic concepts here I want to talk about. First concept, rules are necessary, but they don't change people. Rules control people. And, you know, Tim, I'm sure you would agree with this, that, that very often pastors, they sort of slip into this mode where, you know, people are not really doing what they need to do, and so, you know, we sort of threaten them with the word of God, or, you know, you threaten your children, you know, Um, sometimes you you quote the Bible to them, and you sort of say, God's, you're saying, God's on my side, and if you don't obey me, God's not going to be happy, you know, and this is, let me just tell you, this is the worst imaginable thing to do, just a little aside, you know, I, I have two seminary degrees, but I never use the Bible to get my kids to do something. Some of you are, you know, maybe we should close in prayer right now, you know, but when you use the Bible to try to get somebody to do something, you get people. People resent that, and there are people who come to church who who know. Well, you got to, you know, you got to believe the Bible is God's word, but something inside of them, it's just really hard when we kind of use the Bible. You know, what does the Bible say? Perfect fear. A, a, I'm sorry. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. But you know, sometimes we think, "Well, we got to use a little fear." See, so rules are necessary, but they don't change people. Ru- people. rules control people. Um, uh, we drove up here from Phoenix. We live down in Gilbert, and on the freeway, they have they have signs that say speed limit. So it says speed limit seventy-five. How fast do you go? <laughs> do you know why? Because rules don't change you. They control you. And they barely control you. Right? Okay? So, in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, God gave us the law, the moral code, and the religious ceremonies revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he gave us the law for three reasons. Now, let's look at these three reasons. Okay? Number one. Uh, Let's go to the next slide here. Three reasons. To show what God is like. And what's God like? He's perfect. And to show what we're like. What are we like? Not perfect. Have you ever heard people say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. We're going to talk about that. What in the world does that mean? Now, there are three reasons God gave us the law, and I'm going to get to the third one in just a little bit. So people say, you're talking to them about your faith, and, uh, you know, and they, it makes them feel a little uncomfortable, and they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I'm probably a better person than a lot of people that go to your church. How many of you have heard that? I'm a pretty good person. Okay, I've always wondered, what does that mean? Especially in the sight of God, what does it mean to be a pretty good person? Okay? Okay. Um, Here's what Jesus says about being a pretty good person. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? People who work for the IRS, they love their families. And this isn't just somebody who works for the IRS. We're talking about somebody here who's working for the Romans who are occupying Palestine. And they're extracting money from Jewish people to give to the pagan Roman government, and they're Jewish. Like Matthew, the first author in the New Testament, he was a tax collector. He was, he was, uh, he was, he could have been, you know, if the Romans weren't occupying the country, the land, he could have been executed for, you know, uh, for for, uh, treason. He's supporting a foreign government. Jesus says, even those people, those those the scum of the earth, those people, they love their families. It's no big deal if you love your family. By the way, some of you have a hard time even loving your family, okay? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? The pagans, tax collectors and pagans. And then Jesus says, but be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm a pretty good person. I love my family. You know, I'm... I'm I'm polite to people. Well, what do you feel about them in your heart? Jesus says, be what? Be perfect. How many of you are are not perfect? You're in trouble. Okay? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tries to help people understand what God really expects in the law. And he says, for example... Most of you know this. There's been more of an emphasis on this than what I'm going to talk about in just a moment. That Jesus says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that if a man, what, looks at a woman in the wrong way, he's committed adultery in the sight of God. And I know this That guys come to church and see the gals in the worship team and they have thoughts that they shouldn't be having in church. So are you going to heaven? Jesus said, that's adultery. Uh, This is the other one that Jesus, I mean, so many things in the Sermon on the Mount, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "Uh, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. You know what that means? Jesus says, but I say unto you, If in a fit of rage, you call somebody a nasty name, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So how many of you have said something inside your closed car to someone else in another closed car? You know, you wouldn't show them the finger, would you? No, but you have the finger in your heart. And God doesn't see that? Philemon is looking down there to see if I'm gonna be pulled off the platform, okay? The, see, the thing is, we have, we have a supernatural righteousness, a, a, su- a superficial righteousness. And the question is, what's going on in your heart? And that's what God looks at. He says, he says you gotta be perfect. You know, it's very easy to put on a show of righteousness. But we've got a problem, Okay, here's how I define perfect, and I borrow this from a friend, okay? Perfect is doing all the right things at all the right times for all the right reasons. Anybody want to stand up and say, well, that's me? Okay, how many of you, your mind has wandered a little bit since I began uh, speaking, you're thinking about the beginning of football season or some other thing, your mind is wandered? Okay, in the back there. You're not going to heaven, dude. Okay? Because you got to be perfect. So how many of you in church, you kind of look at your watch once in a while. That's the end of you. Uh, or you're thinking, I am I wonder where we should go. You even lean over to your wife and say, where should we go to lunch today? Bad, really bad. Now, why is that kind of stuff acceptable, but other things are not acceptable? Well, you know, so there are certain things you know, that are really sinful and there are certain things that are not really sinful and we know that there are some sins that don't have a lot of social consequences and there are some sins that have terrible social consequences like adultery and murder. But in the sight of God, according to the scripture, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So um, I'm surprised how many people have not found the, the website despair.com. Have I ever showed it to you? It's, uh, it's a place where you can buy demotivational posters. <laughs> Seriously, so you can buy mugs, you can buy greeting cards, you can buy—you know—you can, you can buy these big posters, hang them in the office, and people walk by. So, and this is their signature poster: despair. It's always darkest but just before it goes pitch black. Okay. Now they have a they have a despair poster about being a pretty good person. Okay, here let's let me show you this poster. Okay, failure. When your best just isn't good enough. You know, how many of you felt that, you know, your very best is not good enough. You're not good enough to get the promotion. There were 25 people that applied for the job and you were you were the second person you know you were number 2 the the other person got the job you know or you know or in in school in a, in the race or i mean or or in your relationship with god you know you you have a really bad day or you have a bad week or you have a bad year like the prodigal son and you say to yourself you know i'm going to go back because my my father's slaves have it better than i do You don't even believe that your father loves you anymore because you've had such a bad year. What does God think of me now? Does he still love me? Because after all, you know, your very best hasn't been good enough. Here's what James says, just to rub this in, okay? James says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. And Romans chapter 3 says this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in, the sight, in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So nobody, nobody is made righteous by obeying the law. Rules don't change people. They control people, and they show us how far we really fall short. See, the law of God is like an x-ray. It has the power to show you what's wrong, but not the power to heal. Rules change no one. The law of God shows the unreachable distance between what what we are and what God originally made us to be. God's law is like a spotlight on a cockroach. We sing about that, you know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a roach like me. Some of you, the song will never be the same. So a roach, you know that a wretch. I don't know. That sort of sounds religious. A wretch, you know. We, oh, you know what a wretch is? I'd rather be a roach than a wretch. A roach has a lot of friends. They can run fast. They can fly. They reproduce like crazy. You know, a roach. Okay. Where are you on the righteousness scale? I, I put this together. There's heaven, and you've got to be perfect to be there. And then there's really good. There's pretty good, pretty bad, really bad, a roach, and hell. So where are you? Okay. How far up the righteousness scale do you have to be? And what kind of righteous nail, right, righteousness <laughs> scale do you have to sustain in order to make sure You get to heaven, okay? How on earth can anybody be perfect? Has anyone on earth ever been perfect? Jesus has been perfect, okay? So when you ask Jesus into your life, guess what happens to you? You become perfect, Because, because he has done all the right things at all the right times for all the right t- reasons. And when he comes into your life, it's what, that's what God looks at, looks at, looks at. This is what it means to be born again because you get a new nature and that new nature is perfect, okay? So uh, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, which to me is one of the most powerful statements in all the Bible. By one sacrifice, and his sacrifice was perfect, he has made two words. Perfect forever, those who are working out their salvation, those who are being sanctified. This is what the Bible calls justification. He has, been, he has made you what? Perfect for the moment until you figure it out. No, forever. He has made you perfect forever. His sacrifice was perfect, and it wasn't just about washing away your sins. It was also about giving you his nature. You see, you've been crucified with Christ, which means that your old nature was put to death, and now you have a new nature, which in the sight of God is absolutely perfect. You know, when God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he looked back and he said, what did God say? It's good. But when Jesus finished his work on the cross, you know, Jesus looked back on his work and as he died, what did Jesus say? It is finished. And that that word in the Greek doesn't just mean done or over. It's the Greek word tetelestai. And it means Everything is now perfect. There's nothing more. There's nothing more that you can do. So when you say, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to, what you're really saying is that the work of Christ on the cross wasn't quite enough. But Jesus, he said, to it is finished. And in the Hebrew and te- the Greek text of the New Testament here, the word perfect, the word perfect, he has made us perfect forever. That's exactly the same word in exactly the same tense. It's actually called the perfect tense in Greek. It's exactly the same form. To So what he has made perfect on the cross, he now makes perfect in you. Forever. So why, why has God given us the law? Okay, first of all, to show us what God is like. He's, he's perfect. To show what we're like, not perfect. But also to show that we have a problem with our nature. We have a problem with our nature. Galatians chapter 4. So we're all children of God by faith. Galatians 4 says this. Just before that passage, it says, the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ, might be given to those who believe. Not to those who try harder, but to those who believe. Before faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. You see, we don't just have a problem with doing bad things or not enough good things. We have a problem inside of us. We don't have the capacity to live up to our own standards, let alone God's. How many of you made a promise to yourself, I'll never do that again? And then you did it again, like, later that day. What's up with that? You can't even, you can't even do what you expect of yourself. How many of you made a New Year's resolution that lasts until January 2nd? You know, I mean, we're not talking about the church cramming religion down your throat. You can't even live up to your own religion because we have a nature problem, okay? And this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was way up there on the righteousness scale, he was a really good person. Like Paul, he was a a, a Jew of Jews and he was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses and According to the law, he was righteous, and Nicodemus still was empty inside. And he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, oh, Nicodemus, go home. You're way up there on that scale. Is that what he said? He said, you must be born again because we don't just need to be better people. We need a new nature. And that's what makes me right with God we need you need to be regenerated re look at this re what generated okay that word gene is right there in that word regenerated you see we talk about regeneration well there's there's generation there's genesis you know there's there's uh, there's genes and then there's regeneration where you get the very genes of god that's what happens uh, when, when that happens, we don't just please God, we become his children. You understand that? We are not, every religion in the world is about what you have to do for God. Christianity is about what God has done for you. See? Religion says, do. Grace says, done. Finished. Perfect. Okay, which brings me to my second point. Okay, okay. The Christian faith is not about rules. It's not about slaves, crime and punishment, employees, getting fired. It's about relationship, family. God is our Father. You know, before you become a Christian, God is a judge, and He will judge you on the basis of good, pretty good, bad, pretty bad, roach. <laughs> God will judge you. He's a judge. Read about it in the book of Revelation. But when you become born again, God never is a judge again. He becomes your father. Okay? Now, a father has rules. But they're not about staying in the family. They're about you becoming everything the father wants you to be. There's a huge difference. God is never a judge again. The Bible is really clear on this. Where is it clear in this? Romans 8 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. See? So God is no longer a judge. Now, he's a father. And in Hebrews, it says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. But he doesn't judge. Because I am crucified with Christ. I, my old nature, the thing that sends me to hell, has been crucified with Christ. It has been judged forever. Jesus has taken my nature, not just my sin. He's taken my nature, and he's, Jesus went to hell for that. And in, in exchange, he gives me his righteousness. Instead of going to hell and being punished forever, I get his righteousness, and I get to live forever forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know when you get everlasting life? The moment you believe. You don't get everlasting life when you die and God figures out whether or not you really should go there. Okay? You get everlasting life. When you get Jesus, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he is in you. Thank you very much. Uh, you're not just... Uh, and not just uh you 're not just a follower of Jesus, you are a brother of Jesus. look at Galatians chapter three verse twenty six You are all what sons i 'll put in put in there and daughters of God through faith in christ jesus okay you 're not just a follower of jesus like he 's the main person in your religion, and you have to do what he says. you become his child, a child of God. Look at, you've been regenerated. Look at your First John chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. You know why? Because God's seed remains in him. That's the Greek word, sperma. You're born again. The seed of God has made you a completely new person. So let me talk about family for a minute. How many of you have raised children, or you're raising children, or you've seen children? All right, so uh, how many of you love your children? How many of you love your children more than you love your neighbor's children? How many of you love your children more than you love your neighbor's children, even though the neighbors have much better children? What's wrong with you? You should only love your children if they're good children. Do we see the connection here? You see, uh, Jesus told a story about a child. Uh, It was uh, the story of the prodigal. What is it? The prodigal what? The prodigal? Oh, son. Not, not the pervert, but the prodigal son. He's still a son. You wouldn't think it. He doesn't even think it. But he's still a son. He ran away from home. Uh, I have a friend. Uh, did you ever meet Hector Torres when you were in Phoenix? Uh, he, he led our Spanish language ministry at the church. And anyway, Hector has two daughters. Our kids grew up together. And his, his older daughter, Heidi, was, um, she was a rebellious kid. And when she was 17 years old, she ran away from home. I mean, the guy that fathered her children is in prison. I mean, it in it's years now have gone by. It was really a very, very awful, a difficult, painful thing for the, for the Tauruses. And Hector Taurus, he teaches the same message, grace, Jesus plus nothing, grace alone. And to me, this is the way, this is really the best way to understand God's grace and what, what unconditional love is. And Hector says, when Heidi... Ran away from home. I, I, I found myself, I, I, I found myself saying, "I've never loved Heidi more than I love her right now, And I have, nowhere she, I have no idea where she is, But I love her more now than ever. You know, you guys who' have raised children, you're raising children, when your kids get into trouble, it's not like we say, "Well, you know that's the end of my love for you, you're on your own. You know, it's sort of like when your kids go south or sideways or astray, however you want to describe it, there's something in you. that's like the love comes out. What, what's it, Is there something wrong with that? No, that's the image of God in all of us. That's the one place in the world where we have a taste of unconditional love and grace. You know, I, I'll, I'll put it in some other terms. My My wife and I, we've got three kids, and they're all... They're all walking with God, and we're just so grateful. Um, they're all really involved in ministry in some capacity, and uh, are, they're all following God. They're married. They've, you know, settled into They've got issues. You know, everybody's got issues, but they're doing really well. And people have said, what's your secret? You want, would you like to know what our secret secret is? Uh, as soon as they understood right from wrong, we told them, we totally love you, but we, we really love you, but, but, you know, you just need to know that if you don't do what we say, I mean, it's not likely that this will happen, but it could. If you don't do what we say, we reserve the right to disown you. You can't be our children anymore. And we told them that every day. And um, they turned out really great. You know, you're laughing because it's so ridiculous. Or you think, man, that man is really he's sick. This is the way people believe that God relates to them. You know what failure is when your when you're very best isn't quite good enough? You know, you know what your very best is right now? Jesus in you. And that's great. That's perfect. It's Christ, Paul said, it's Christ in me the hope of glory. And then I love this I love this tune. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. So I not only have faith in his blood to cleanse me, but I have r- faith in his righteousness to sustain me. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. You are all Sons of God through faith in Christ. And then here's another verse about being perfect. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, not everybody can see that. Sometimes my wife can't see it in me. But God sees it. And that's what matters. If you've clothed yourself with Christ, what more do you need? What more do you need? It's what I call Jesus plus nothing. The alternative is Jesus plus something. And if it's something, what is that? And how much of it do you need? And who's going to decide? The Baptists? The legalistic Pentecostals? The Catholics? The Mormons? The Jehovah's Witnesses? When you go, any place you go, you can find Jesus plus something. When I go here, it's Jesus plus nothing. But there's something in us that, you know, I've I've also used this illustration. There's something in us that's always wanting to eat just a little bit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you know what's right to do and you do it, and you know what's wrong to do and you do it, you'll become more like Jesus. So you've got to work on that. But you find that when you eat from that tree, you have to die. Because it's never about your effort. It's about the grace of God working in you. It's about the tree of life. The tree of life, Jesus said, and this is my Father glorified if you bear much fruit. So you work on it, right? No. How do you bear fruit? It's right there in John 15. You abide in the vine. You abide in Christ. So you've clothed yourself with Christ. You know, I wrote a book. I wrote a book about this. Honey, I just shrunk Jesus. It's a book about Galatians. And it's about what happens when grace isn't totally amazing. If grace isn't totally amazing, if, if, if it's Jesus plus something, then Jesus isn't quite everything. And the more stuff you add to Jesus, the smaller you make him. It's for sale in the back. It's Jesus plus buying my book. All right, so when, when we add things to Jesus, And and yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but you have to be circumcised. Or if you're a good Catholic, you have to be a Catholic. Or if you believe in Jesus, you can't be a Catholic. (laughs) Or you can't smoke, or you can't drink, or you can't play poker, or you can't get an abortion. And what happens if you do? Or you can't be gay or lesbian. Or you can't whatever. You know, all these things matter. All these things matter, but they are not about the doctrine of salvation. They are about what happens after you've been saved. So where are you on the righteousness scale? If Christ is in you, where are you? We're perfect. So if you're Peter, you know, even though the Gentiles are following Jesus, you know, this this is the outcome. What happens? You know, when you don't have this down, uh, if, uh, when we add things to Jesus, as in yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but before you know it, the but, the something in Jesus plus something, the something, the something becomes more important than Jesus. Well, I can't have fellowship with you because you don't believe this. That's exactly what happened to Peter. If you read Galatians, he Peter understood salvation by grace alone, but Paul says in Galatians, I had to rebuke Peter to his face because he wasn't eating with the Gentiles anymore. He was persuaded by the circumcision party. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Peter, the first apostle. He you know there's something in all of us that keeps sucking us into this legalism thing. And whatever you add to Jesus, that always is going to be It's going to become more important than Jesus because you won't have fellowship with somebody else because of that. Okay? Let me help you with this. I want to show you how this is so practical. What is amazing grace, number three, amazing grace isn't just about how God loves you unconditionally. It's about God working in you to love others unconditionally. Because if you have stumbling blocks in your own soul, and you know, oh, I'm not good enough, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. Guess what? That's the first thing you're going to be saying to other people. You got to do this, and you got to do that. Okay, if you belong to Christ, look at—I'm uh, sorry. Uh, look, this, which is why Paul, in the next verse, writes: "There is verse Galatians 3:28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female." Could you say Protestant or Catholic? Well, not that, of course. We are all one in Christ Jesus. There's nothing, this is possible only when our relationship with God is based on Jesus plus nothing. Uh, Look at Ephesians. I want to show you how this works out practically. This this isn't just about religion, okay? I want to show you. Look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. Submit to one another, why? Out of reverence for Christ. Why do we submit to one another? Because Jesus is right there. And you know, when people have problems in their families, people have problems in their marriages, they have issues, you know something? The issue becomes bigger than Jesus, and the issue becomes divisive, because it's bigger than Jesus. You know, that issue that you're having in your marriage... Marriage, that's much bigger than Jesus. Jesus could never really help you with that problem. And what do you do? Honey, you just shrunk Jesus because you somehow come to believe that the problem that you have in your family is bigger than God. And you're bowing down to the problem. That problem is your God now because that problem is actually shaping your life and how you respond and how you live and how you love, that, become, that problem becomes your God. But the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because Jesus is always preeminent, see? And so now this Jesus plus nothing becomes very, very important in the way we live out our lives. And now the verse that I shared with you before I began the message, look at Philippians chapter four, verse five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. It's not what the other driver does. It's not what your boss does. It's not what the person that you're working with does. You let your gentleness be evident to all. Because the Lord is near. And that's bigger than whatever happens on the freeway. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's all we need. You know, we sing the song. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need, or something close to that, as I'm looking to the musicians among us here. Okay? So the application here is that Jesus is never a point of division. Not in the church, not in families. It's always the something that's the point of division. So the question here, and this is the title of my message, who's your daddy? Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you belong to Christ... Then you're Abraham's seed. What's that word? Sperma. And heirs according to the promise. And then Paul ends. I want to read this. And this is what I end, up, end with here. Paul says, what I am saying is this. As long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave. And although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. You know, that's the rule book. You know, until you, it's the, the It's the law. But the law leads us to Christ, okay? So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to live a perfect life under the law and to redeem those under the law. We're not only redeemed from sin, we are redeemed from the rules. You see that? We're redeemed from the law as well as from sin, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because we're good? No, but because we're sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, say it with me, Abba, Father. So who's your daddy? (laughs) Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave to the rules, but a a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Would you stand with me?
1: From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit VLCCAZ.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Centers with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.